The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Bringing you the ag information you need, this is Market Talk, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. Welcome into Market Talk. Thanks for joining us here today on the show as we take a look at what is happening in commodities and livestock and all the issues that are impacting the markets and impacting rural America. Back in studio after a few days in a row of travel. Happy to be here with you. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. we got a great show lined up for you today as we take a look at what's been happening in the markets here. Now, we got a WASDE report coming up on Thursday trade maybe squaring up a little bit ahead of that in Wednesday's action soybeans finding some pressure we got uh, plenty to take a look at we're going to be joined today by Kent Beadle from Paradigm Futures he is our guest analyst on the show today looking forward to a conversation with Kent coming up here in just a little bit so uh, we're going to dive into the markets here on the show today also We've got some other news headlines to catch up on in the world of agriculture. We're going to do that coming up in segment four here today. So looking forward to all of that and more on the program. Let's take a look at the market action, though. Soybeans finding some pressure on uh, better rains in the forecast for Argentina. And that was really a wait overnight. But then about mid-morning Wednesday, we got a headline out on Twitter that the Rosario Grain Exchange said they expect Argentina production to be down 20 to 30%. Well, that for a short time sent the soybean market off the lows, but then we quickly went back to the lows. And we also saw March corn set a new contract low overnight into Wednesday's session. So really the, the bearish weight continuing in these grain markets and some of those uh, anecdotes from Wednesday's trade. We talked about that with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X. I talked to Arlen around midday on Wednesday and got his thoughts on those news items and much more. We also looked at the livestock trade, some thoughts midweek. Here is Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at Stone X. Yeah, the perspective we need to keep with that Rosario Grain Exchange, they can be a little bit more volatile in their estimates. Most people, I think, respect more what comes in the Buenos Aires Grain Exchange. Um, but uh, as far as being down that far, it's still early in the growing season. Think of it as early July in the Midwest. And so the critical time period is still ahead of us for how weather can impact it. Has it been hot and dry here over the last 10 days or so? Yes, it has been. Um, but the crops have a lot of time to to recover, and there's a lot of rain in the forecast starting here over the next couple of days. So we expect most of those hot, dry areas to get a good drink here in the days ahead. And uh, soybeans have that capability to recover. So a little bit premature, I think, for Rosario to make such dire uh, predictions. And I think the grain trade is saying, look, regardless of what happens down there, we're expecting South America as a whole to have plenty of production and not justify rationing U.S. demand with higher prices at this point. I know in terms of corn, we uh, set some new contract lows in March corn overnight, uh, corn and wheat together. Just kind of mixed activity here today. Your thoughts on that side of the ledger? 
Yeah, for the lead contract, uh, is, uh, three-year lows for corn and uh, kind of painful for the producers out there, an opportunity for the end users to try to uncover some more demand. And, and we are seeing that with ethanol grind being good and ethanol production being good and even exports uh, picking up. Um, but basically, this reflects the market's expectations like soybeans that tomorrow's USDA WASD crop report is going to show that we have an oversupply of grain and oil seeds on the market. Over in the livestock trade, hogs getting a bit of a bounce uh, here on Wednesday while that cattle trade uh, taking a little bit of a breather. Your thoughts on the proteins today? Yeah, we got a bounce in the hog market, but we're having trouble holding it uh, just uh, as uh, we're now coming off of those highs uh, here in the minutes, even as we talk. Um, it's a market that uh, saw some pretty good gains and then started pulling back and consolidating. We started seeing some softness in the product market for pork. And uh, so now we're trying to find a new trading range and kind of defining that trading range. On the cattle side, uh, we've seen some uh, uh, on the electronic trading this morning. We we did see some offers of 183, uh, but no bids to counter it at that level. And so we're just not seeing much trade at this point. Uh, we are seeing better than expected strength in the product market. We've certainly seen the carcass weights back off after the weather adversity we had in January, that data coming in now. Packer margins are starting to deteriorate once again, so the packers are slowing uh, the chain speed, but that may just add more support for the product market. And once again, that is comments with Arlen Suderman, Chief Commodities Economist at StoneX, joining us uh, around midday on Wednesday, giving us his perspective on the market trade. And again, coming up, we're going to talk with Kent Beadle from Paradigm Futures here just a little bit, get Kent's thoughts on this trade action as we head into another WASDE report day on Thursday. One news note want to share, Farm Action submitted public comments regarding the right to repair issue in U.S. agriculture. The group wants the Federal Trade Commission to initiate a rulemaking process on the subject. Joe Maxwell, co-founder and chief strategy officer with Farm Action, says the right to repair is an important issue for the group. We're a farmer-led organization. Far too often, we've seen John Deere and the other major agriculture equipment manufacturers consolidate their dealerships. And today, many farmers have to travel hours to get to a dealership. Our equipment breaks down in the field, sometimes just because of an error on a sensor. And we don't have the ability, or that farmer doesn't have the ability to actually repair that equipment without contacting that dealer miles and miles away. And oftentimes, they have a backlog, and our equipment is down for days sometimes weeks, sometimes we have to haul it in simply to have them hook it up to a computer and find that a sensor malfunction. That is a delay in the field that costs money, time that sometimes we farmers just don't have. Farming is already a stressful occupation and broken down machinery that can't get fixed quickly makes it much worse. Farmers are already under a lot of stress, low margins, weather events, extreme weather patterns, and then to have your piece of equipment when you finally have a window open to be able to either harvest or to plant or to spray, to have an error code knock you out of operations is very stressful and it is costly. The group says the Federal Trade Commission has the authority and responsibility to regulate the right to repair issue under existing antitrust law. Maxwell talks about how costly the problem truly is for 
American farmers. It's estimated that this issue of agriculture equipment manufacturers controlling the repair of that equipment and preventing the right to repair it by the farmer or someone of their choice costs as much as $4.2 billion per year. It's real money in the pockets of America's family farmers and ranchers. Once again, that's Joe Maxwell from Farm Action. You can learn more online. Just go to farmaction.us. Again, that's farmaction.us. We're going to take a look at other news headlines coming up here at the end of the show today, including Super Bowl coming up this weekend. How many chicken wings are football fans set to consume? We're going to talk about that and look at a few other news headlines, including the latest ag economy barometer from the Purdue University CME group and uh, uh expectations going lower in january we're going to talk about that coming up as well here in uh just a little while segment four we'll look at news headlines today on the show but up next we are going to dive into the commodity trade again and get some thoughts and perspective after midweek uh, wrapped up on wednesday kent beetle with paradigm futures he's our guest market analyst and he will join us next as we'll be back with more on market talk on the way right after the break If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. Well, trying to make sense of this market trade at midweek in front of a February World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates report that's going to give the trade some more fodder here to uh, end up the week. Let's talk about what we're seeing in the markets. Joining us for a conversation, Kent Beadle with Paradigm Futures. Kent, Good to catch up with you again. Thanks for joining us today. And uh, I'm sure like many folks uh, east of the Rockies enjoyed some unseasonably warm temperatures in your neck of the woods, Ken. Oh, right? yeah, my, Jesse, my grass is turning green. I uh, may have to put the snowblower away and get the lawnmower out. It's unbelievable for uh, February here in Minnesota. It's uh, very surprising. Yeah, very, very surprising. And uh, it's not that typical winter weather, of course, that you know, shuts down grain movement and things like that. But even then, you know, I don't know how much grain's moving right now because this market's just looking pretty rough, Kent. I mean, I've used this analogy quite a few times the last week or so that it feels like a lot of the weight has gone to the bearish side of the boat in grains and oil seeds. Uh, Yeah, your thoughts on that? Yeah, there's little doubt about that. Um, If you measure this any way you wish to there's three different cftc reports that you can look at um and you can you can take the corn position for example which has never been this short except for 2019 in the trade war in 2020 post-covid you can take uh, uh soybeans meal and oil and combine them and find out that we've never been this short with the exception of the 2019 trade war uh, you can add in corn, uh, beans, meal, oil, and all of the wheats and find out we've never been this short other than in uh, the 2019 trade war as well. So 
Um, look, there's a, a very uh, significant bet being made toward uh, lower grain prices that are a function of a couple of things. You know, certainly we don't have balance sheets that are rationing balance sheets like we've had the last couple of years. We've needed to be high enough to actually slow demand down. Instead, what we're trying to do is find that price point where we're actually ramping demand up. Um, you know, we're actually succeeding in the corn market to some extent. Uh, mm. Average trade guess for tomorrow's report is for a, a little bit smaller ending stock because we're ahead of the pace that we need to be on with corn exports. And our ethanol grind has been good if you uh, take out those couple of weeks when the uh, uh, the nat gas rationing situation uh, during the cold snap, uh, you know, forced a number of ethanol plants to slow down. So, you know, we're at a price that's been buying some demand, even our soybeans relative to the uh, USDA's estimate. If you add up uh, current existing sales plus the shipments, we are just barely underneath the uh, average percentage marketed um, or sold as of this date uh, through the marketing year. And um, so I don't think we're doing a bad job. Um, mm -hmm. It's just, uh, you know, we have a very major bet being made by the speculator. There is another piece to this, of course, and that is Chinese demand and this idea that somehow uh, China is, uh, I, you know, we were they're somehow going to export deflation to the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, let's be fair that they, they are um, a major consumer of commodities and they have been through their entire economic growth spurt. Um, if we were worried about uh, or we were in the business of merchandising lumber or steel or cement or all of these other things uh, that they have uh, grossly overbuilt, and clearly are, are going to have to contract on going forward, you would be a little bit more worried. But we're still talking about 1.3 to 1.4 billion people. And by the way, we're talking about 1.3 to 1.4 billion people with a GDP growth of north of 5%, mm. which is disappointing to many. But if GDP growth is growing up five, is growing five percent with that type of population, do you really think that demand for food is going up or going down? I, you know, um, I'm I'm not convinced that that it's necessarily going down. I'm not convinced that that a an economic contraction in China, you know, and let's face it, we already had one with COVID. Um, is going to necessarily mean less uh, uh, demand from the Chinese consumer for pork or for chicken or for soybean oil to uh, to fry different things. Um, but that's the bet that is being made by uh, the large speculator. And as long as it keeps working, as long as that aggressiveness is able to drive prices lower and the trend continues to move lower, you know they're going to keep uh, they're going to keep piling in here. At some point, uh, the number of bullets they have will, you know, be greatly diminished, and uh, the amount of uh, grain demanded by the end user, not just here in the U.S. but around the world, will start to exceed the amount that uh, that uh, uh, the the fund is willing to sell. And we get to that point, 
and you know things will start to look a little better and obviously we've had a couple of uh false starts with that narrative already we've had mm -hmm. uh, uh we had a key reversal higher last week and some high range closes before uh, we we traded poorly friday and then uh, uh and then so far this week um you know there have been a couple of other times it looked like maybe we were turning the corner and we just haven't done it yet yeah, we just have not done it yet. Soybeans were the uh, the biggest loser on Wednesday. I saw this headline out Wednesday from the Rosario Exchange that they're anticipating Argentine production down 20 to 30%, but largely it felt like the trade just looked at that, traded it for, I don't know, 30 minutes, and then shook it off. Um, and I know that a lot more folks put more weight into CONAB and, of course, USDA, which will get those updates on Thursday um, but soybeans in general, outside of that nugget, just felt like the path of least resistance there was to the downside on Wednesday, Kent. Well, think about this. The, the private estimates out of Brazil, uh, you have a very low-end estimate at down around 135 million tons, uh, but, but the high-end estimates have been right around 150. And yet the average trade estimate for tomorrow's report is 152 and a half. What does that tell you? It tells you the trade does not believe that the USDA is going to be aggressive at all in getting down to the area that that the marketplace um, is pretty certain that the crop is at. And this, you know, to be fair, um, if you think about where Conab's number was last year, their official number, right? Well, the USDA is about five million tons higher than that for last year's crop. And they're 5 million tons higher than Argentina for last year's crop. It's almost 10 million tons of supply that was on the carry-in balance sheet for this year's world S&D um, that neither Argentina nor Brazil said that they have, but the USDA believes that or has kept it, those, those supplies in the balance sheet. So I can't tell you why this exists, why this is going on this way, um, you know, but that's what we're uh, that's what we're seeing is uh, a real reluctance uh, for the USDA uh, to lower estimates to to where the, the trade actually believes the crop is really at. Yeah, it's it's quite interesting. It's almost like they slow walk it, if anything, with the yeah. USDA numbers that we've been getting here in recent years, Kent. Yeah, no, and and look, I, I you know I don't know that it's political. I don't know if there's. Um, yeah. There's some effort to to try to keep a lid on in food inflation here. Um, it is an election year. Those are the kind of things that that come to your mind when you wonder why they're doing some of the things that they're doing. But um, we have to live with what they give us. Well, once again, that is the voice of Kent Beadle from Paradigm Futures, and we'll continue our conversation with him coming up here after the break as uh, we see, again, grains mostly lower on the day. Wheat found a little bit of strength uh, on the session, but that was about it. March corn down 4 and a half, 4.34 quarter. December new crop corn 3 and a half lower, 4.73 and 3 quarters. March soybeans 10 and a half lower at 11.89. New crop November soybeans Finish the day down six and three quarters, eleven seventy and three quarters. Soybean meal for March down seven sixty a ton, three fifty one twenty. March bean oil up eighty two points, forty six seventy six. March Chicago wheat seven higher, six oh two. July up four and three quarters, six ten and a half. 
March Kansas City wheat down a quarter penny, 618 and a quarter. July KC wheat half a penny higher, 609 and a half. Spring wheat March up three, 696 and a quarter. July up one and a quarter at seven and a half. Live cattle February down 77, 182.22. April down 127, 184.80. Feeder cattle March 112 lower, 245.55. April down 50, 251.20. And in lean hogs February down 10, 73.37. April hogs down 15. At 81.10, May Hogs up 7.86.35 on the day Wednesday. Again, we're talking with Kent Beadle from Paradigm Futures here on Market Talk. We'll continue our conversation with him and get more market analysis coming up after the break. We'll be back with more right after this. If you miss an episode of Market Talk, you can listen back to the show anytime. Just search for Market Talk on your podcast platform of choice, and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand. Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button, or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The views and opinions of this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers. There is substantial risk of loss in trading futures and options, which you should carefully consider prior to trading. Keeping you informed with the latest market information for your operation. This is Market Talk. Now, back to Jesse Allen. We are talking today with Kent Beadle from Paradigm Futures here on Market Talk. Kent. I'd love your thoughts on the wheat markets, too, uh, real quick. Uh, All three classes were a little bit higher, led by Chicago SRW on Wednesday. If I'm looking at charts right, though, it looked like that maybe that carry in spring wheat has gone away in the front month. I'm not sure. But your assessment of this wheat trade uh, overall here right now, Kent? A couple of things. We've we've fallen to an area that has done two things it's it's pretty well shut off movement from the country um hence the spreads uh you know starting to tighten up and if you if you look at uh, measures of average u.s basis levels across all three wheat classes they have been trending higher you know from the day that the marketplace rolled from bidding off the dece futures to the march futures we've been moving higher. I think we've, we recaptured all of that carry and probably plus a little bit now as we're moving into, you know, the last uh, few weeks before the new delivery month. So, um, that's, that's basis levels getting better spreads, getting tighter. You have Kansas city trading at an inverse and Minneapolis now having moved to an inverse today as well. Um, you know, this is a market that is trying to incense some bushels into the pipeline um, in order, to, you know, for millers to uh, be have, able to have enough supply to make some flour. Um, you know, it, it's certainly not coming from any huge export program because we all know that that's not what we're doing. Uh, we've got some uh, outstanding sales on the books yet to China, and we've been not all that quickly getting those shipped. We you know, we'll do a little bit, uh, cup, you know, in a week, and then we'll go a few weeks and we won't ship any of that outstanding sale. But I think it's domestic demand at this price uh, is uh, is needing to buy wheat more than uh, the American farmers willing to sell it. 
can uh, something we were talking about as well before we went on the air that I, I'd love for you to give a brief explanation if you can to some folks. I know a lot of people have heard the term Goldman Roll, uh, yeah. but some folks who are maybe watching, listening in, maybe they don't understand what exactly that is. And you indicated to me that maybe we started to see some of that here on Wednesday. Can you just explain what the Goldman Roll is for us quick? Yeah, and I think we actually have seen it sort of a, a – um, a pre-hedge for that role or uh, a positioning ahead of that role, maybe yesterday and even uh, uh, Friday and Monday. Um, what that is, is uh, the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index is one of three or four major commodity indexes uh, that get what we call passive uh, investment. And in other words, um, you know, dollars that come from pension funds, or from long-term investors who want to have diversified exposure um, with a portion of their portfolio away from equities and away from bonds and into something that is, you know, backed by some sort of hard asset uh, like commodities. So mm -hmm. um, the commodity, the Goldman Sachs Commodity Index is made up of a number of different commodities. Um, probably a little more weighted toward energy, but uh, with a component that's weighted uh, into corn, into soybeans, into Chicago wheat, into cattle and hogs. And they take their front month futures position and on the between the fifth and the ninth day of the month prior to the delivery, they take and they sell the long futures that they have in that position and they roll them ahead to the uh, to the following position and that bear spread activity has a tendency to put a little extra pressure on front month futures um yesterday for example we saw you know corn was down four four and a half cents but uh new crop corn was only down a half a cent mm -hmm. um that was the kind of sort of pre-goldman roll activity that we get used to seeing sometimes and i think that there was maybe a little bit more of that going on today of course we were close enough to contract lows with yesterday's activity that we get a little more of that price action today. And the next thing you know, we're into new contract lows in the March corn, and that triggers a certain amount of uh, additional selling either from uh, um, longs who decide to throw in the towel or, or maybe even some new shorts who want to add to their position who like selling contract lows because it has a, because it tells them that their position is working and they should add to it. Love the explanation. Thank you for that. I think some folks find that helpful. And I think it's something too that, you know, things like that, things like the Goldman roll can add into, you know, with like we were talking funds and managed money. I mean, it could all add together to the volatility in, in this yeah. market environment that we have today. Right. Yeah, absolutely. We've got, we've got more things coming at us to be honest yeah. with you. Uh, what, certainly we have the crop report tomorrow and everyone's talking about that, but, you know, something that I would touch on today is that uh, we're going to get the USDA Outlook Forum mm -hmm. uh, starting a week from today. Uh, excuse me, a week from tomorrow, a week from uh, um, that following Thursday. And I'm certain that the, uh, that the speculator is looking ahead to that and is probably excited about the fact that the USDA is going to give us um, a corn yield number that will more than likely be six bushels an acre higher than the record yield that we had this past year because of 
because of their regression trend line uh, and the fact that they started in 1988, which was a drought year, which was a very low yield year, which kind of tips the tips things a little bit higher, tips the slope of that curve higher. Um, you know, they're uh, they're going to tell us that uh, this year's trend line is probably going to be 183, 183 and a half mm-hmm. bushels an acre, even though we've never produced better than 177.3. And you're going to put that into next year's balance sheet, uh, and you're going to show a growth in the carryout. And that's, you know, uh, of course, these are bushels that haven't haven't even been planted yet, to let you know, let let alone let grown and uh, harvested. And and the yield is a long ways from being certain. But uh, uh, for a little while, we might decide we want to trade that. I remember very well in 2020, the last time we did this. Uh, where the USDA in, you know, between February and May started printing 3 billion bushel carryouts for the following year. And I think we ended up at about one four, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, and it, it, it wore everybody down. And I think that's the other piece between Chinese, you know, economic concerns. Uh, and then there's next year's crop. And I think those are the two linchpins to this short position that the funds are currently carrying great thoughts great thoughts uh, on the grains livestock cattle and hogs uh, kind of a mixed bag on wednesday you know though kent this cattle market feels like there is a lot more optimism coming back into this cattle trade here as of late would you agree with that oh for sure um look you know there's there's this expectation and there has been an expectation that these high prices and, and reasonable margins for the cattlemen are going to ultimately result uh, in a uh, uh, in a growing of the herd. Um, you know, we're going to retain heifers. We're going to we're going to build our calf herd and we're going to start to uh, start to grow the cattle inventory again. And of course, last week, uh, the inventory report from the USDA threw a bunch of cold water on that. Um, you know, not only was inventories uh, a little bit lower than trade expectations, but the number of lightweight calves, um, you know, recent uh, um, recent number of, of calves into the marketplace was just quite a bit lower. And, and uh, it indicated that there just has not been any uh, actual expansion activity take place as of yet. And so we are likely, you know, going to go through another year with less cattle this this year than we had last and obviously last year was a pretty good year so um you know there has to be some reason for optimism we're starting the year out at a higher level than we started last year out um and we have to keep in mind that corn prices are quite a bit lower so um there may be some reasons that that cattle prices won't get as high this year as they got last year um but that doesn't mean that profitability might not be um, just as good. Kent, always appreciate a conversation. Uh, final thoughts from you real quick. Anything you want to reiterate to folks today? Oh, I, you know, I think that, uh, I think that growers should have a little bit of patience at these lower price levels. Um, understand what costs of production are, right? Be ready to, to make some sales at obviously levels that aren't nearly as profitable as the early sales that were made last year. Uh, but I wouldn't necessarily give up on the market uh, having some sort of a, a seasonal rally um, because uh, the other years when we have been short like this, we have had 
uh, rallies where that short has been erased and longs have been put into place with similar uh, fundamental stocks to use situations. So I may have to have some patience. You may have to use some tools in the toolbox, like you know, making some sales and some re-ownership and options or what have you. But uh, um, you know, hang with it. It's it's still likely to be okay at some point in time here this year. Ken, if folks want to reach out to you and get some advice and talk uh, markets with you there at Paradigm Futures, how can they reach you, Kent? Yeah, I'm at uh, 651-491-2119. And um, we can also be uh, I also be seen at uh, www.paradigmfutures.net. Appreciate the time, as always, with that. Kent Beadle from Paradigm Futures. Thanks for joining us on Market Talk, and we will look forward to talking to you again real soon. Thanks, Jesse. Appreciate it. Once again, Kent Beadle there with Paradigm Futures joining us here today on Market Talk. Corn trade four to five lower on Wednesday. Soybeans seven to ten lower with front months leading the way to the downside. Moderate pressure in bean meal. Bean oil was higher on the session moderately. Wheat trade, Chicago wheat four to seven higher with mixed action in Kansas City and spring wheat. And then we saw moderate to uh, light losses in hogs, moderate losses in the cattle trade with some triple digit uh, losses in both fats and feeders on the day Wednesday. All right, coming up next, we're going to take a look at news headlines and wrap up today's market talk program we'll be back with more on the way right after this if you miss an episode of market talk you can listen back to the show anytime just search for market talk on your podcast platform of choice and you can hear past episodes of the program on demand Make sure to subscribe to the Market Talk YouTube channel. You can watch our latest interviews with top market analysts in the country, find bonus content, and much more. It's easy. Just go to youtube.com slash at Market Talk Egg and hit the subscribe button. Or you can search for Market Talk Egg on YouTube. The market news and analysis you need here on Market Talk. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to Market Talk. Thanks to Kent Beadle with Paradigm Futures for joining us here today, providing market analysis and uh, good thoughts. A lot to look at here, of course, uh, with that Thursday WASDE report coming up here from USDA. We'll see what that does to the market trade overall, and it'll be something to watch very closely as we work through Thursday's action. Let's take a look at some more news headlines here before we round it out today. Farmer's Sentiment. Took a downturn at the start of 2024 as the January Purdue University CME Group Ag Economy Barometer Index fell to a reading of 106, eight points below a month earlier. Compared to year-end, producers had a more negative outlook of their farm's current situation along with a weakened outlook for the future. Now, the current conditions index fell nine points, and the future expectations index dropped seven points, both compared to December. Anticipated lower farm income in 2024 significantly influenced the decline across all indices evident in the Farm Financial Performance Index, registering at 85, 12 points lower than a month earlier. The percentage of producers expecting weaker financial performance rose from 20% in December to 31% in January, while those expecting incomes to be about the same fell from 63% to 53%. A combination of high input costs and declining commodity prices generated a weaker financial performance outlook for 2024, according to the survey results. 
Well, the National Grange recently penned a letter to lawmakers expressing concerns over proposals to remove dams along the Snake River in Washington state. The letter alleges that dam removals would totally disrupt an entire rural region of our country that depends upon this infrastructure for clean electrical power, agricultural irrigation, transportation, flood control, recreation, and jobs. The National Grange believes that any plan to remove any dam in the Columbia Snake River system must include an equitable and robust economic transition plan. Now, the Grange is a social organization that encourages families to band together to promote the economic and political well-being of the community and agriculture and includes more than 140,000 members. The letter follows legislation introduced last month regarding the issue by Representative Dan Newhouse, a Washington state Republican. The Defending Against Manipulative Negotiators Act would prohibit the use of federal funds for being used in breaching or altering the Lower Snake River dams and prohibit the implementation of the Columbia Basin Restoration Initiative. Well, grocery prices, with some exceptions, remain high and could go even higher, according to the American Farm Bureau Federation. It's sticker shock at the grocery store. And AFBF economist Barrett Nelson says input costs and general inflation are among the main culprits. Across the board with our grocery prices, we're still seeing pressures from the high input costs that farmers face. That, combined with the inflationary pressures that are still hanging on, are giving us this scenario where we're still seeing some prices rise in the grocery stores. The Washington Post recently reported that grocery prices have jumped 25% in the last four years, outpacing overall inflation of 19% with sharp jumps for beef, sugar, and juice. Nelson says egg prices have been more volatile as avian influenza took a toll on bird populations last year. They've come back down as we've seen these outbreaks kind of dial back. But we're still seeing some supply issues due to avian influenza that have kind of driven things back up in the $2.20 average range. Nelson says beef prices are stable for now but might hit record highs by next year based on the lowest inventory of cattle and calves since 1951. Higher processing plant and grocery store wages and post-pandemic shipping costs plus Russia's war with Ukraine have also spiked food prices including for grains and vegetable oils. And American Farm Bureau Federation urging lawmakers as well to pass a farm bill. We need a farm bill to provide that safety net for when farmers end up in hard times. So whether it be from a natural disaster, lower prices, higher input costs. Economist Nelson says whether it's high input costs or food security, a new farm bill can address both. Well, February's weather pattern is uh, maybe going to get a little more active in northern farm country. It's been unusually warm in much of the upper Midwest, northern plains, and the Great Lakes regions. Many parts of those regions haven't had a lot of snow either. Dennis Toddy, director of the Midwest Climate Hub, says the weather pattern looks to be more active at times this month. We are looking like we're going to continue the warmer than average throughout a good portion of the month, at least the start of the month, throughout the whole upper Midwest Great Lakes. I mean, if you like warm winters, it's good. For other aspects, I'm not sure it's as good. We don't want this much warmth that early. That could mean some more moisture is coming into areas that still need some. There is a more active precipitation pattern likely into the middle of February, the first couple weeks. But then I think the outlooks were talking about that ending mid-late part of the month. There is a bit more active period coming, and then as the month goes on, probably should get a bit quieter again. There are parts of the Midwest and Plains that still need some rain, but the situation may not be quite as dire as in 2023. 
not as bad. The plains largely improved all last year while the center part of the Midwest was really dry. So the northern plains has not had much snow, so they're drying out a bit. We're not at a critical point with real problems yet, but overall conditions out there, there's no serious problems at this point. I'm sure they would all like to have a bit more snow to get a little bit more water on the ground, but it's not as critical problem or as as serious a problem as we have centered on Iowa right now. And once again, that is Dennis Toddy with the Midwest Climate Hub based in Ames, Iowa. Well, the Super Bowl coming up here this weekend between the Chiefs and the 49ers. And Super Bowl Sunday is definitely a big day for football fans, but there's also no hotter time for chicken wings. Tom Super is the communications lead at the National Chicken Council. He tells us just how many wings Americans are going to put away on game day. We are projecting Americans will devour about 1.45 billion chicken wings this weekend for Super Bowl 58. That is a billion with a B. And he says consumers have a preference. In terms of dipping sauces, barbecue in our last consumer survey came out number one, followed by ranch, and buffalo uh, hot sauce was third. French fries are are the preferred side for wings, and then you have your celery uh, and your carrots, and then a slight edge to bone-in traditional wings other than the boneless wings out there. While the number of wings consumed during the big game is large, Super says consumption is flat compared to last year. There's a couple reasons for that. USDA is projecting that last year's pounds and number of birds are pretty much flat compared to a year ago. And the reason that there wasn't an increase were feed costs relatively high, continued labor challenges. And, you know, even though demand is up, people would eat more wings if they were available, but they're just not there. So it's flat compared to last year. The good news is that retail prices are down. You'll definitely get some deals, some promos on wings at the grocery store, but I just wouldn't wait to the last second. If you're ordering them from a restaurant or a bar or the supermarket, I would get them maybe a little bit early. And once again, that's Tom Super from the National Chicken Council. We're out of time here on Market Talk today. Thanks for joining us. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Have a good one. We'll talk to you tomorrow.